Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This week on the Mike Wise Show, our guest is one of the best basketball writers in the Hoop family. He's seen it all over the past 30 plus years and he's standing by. But first, Darlene, do your thing. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Sean Powell is on the short list of great sports journalists of the past four decades. Actually, I just call him a journalist who happens to write about sports. He's not just a friend. We don't have time to read his entire resume, but he's covered major sporting events, almost every one in the U.S., numerous Olympic games, baseball, tennis, golf, you name it. He's written about it. He spent 15 years as a columnist at Newsday, and right now he's doing great work for NBA.com. Like me, he cut his bones on the NBA. Welcome, Sean. Good to see you, Mike. Everything's I, know, I almost feel like it's more of a catch-up thing because we, we see each other on Facebook and Twitter and all these social media, but we never get on the phone and catch up like we should. But uh, it sounds like you're doing well. Well, you know, the last time that you and I were together, the Knicks were really good. And now that we're, <laughs> and, and, and now that we're back together, the Knicks are pretty good. <laughs> I mean, since we both start work, since we both spent years in New York, um, the, the Knicks have gone from a team really that wasn't even expected to make the playoffs to like this dangerous team likely hosting a first round playoff series. How did this happen? And, and I won't let Frank Isola tell me it was all Tom Thibodeau. As much as he loves think, Tibbs. Yeah, I, well, he's obviously part of the equation. Um, sure. Frank, I, not Tom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think also, look, he's, he's, he's obviously part of the equation. He brought some uh, credibility to a franchise mm -hmm. that was starved for credibility. If you go back and you look at some of the decisions they made with the hierarchy, um, you know, even... Phil Jackson was applauded at the time. He won the press conference when he was introduced. However, Phil didn't really have any general managing experience. So it went all downhill from there. Uh, Thibodeau's a guy who cut his teeth in New York. He was an assistant coach there. He has good relationship with the media there. I assume he had a decent relationship with James Dolan. That always helps. Mm. And when you go to his teams, you know, you know, they're going to be hard working. They're going to be defensive oriented. All those things have helped the Knicks this year. Now, obviously, the drawback with Thibodeau is that he has great honeymoons, you know, right. and, 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 and right. it, it wears off eventually. It wears off eventually. But you're not worried about, you know, three, four years down the road. If you're the Knicks, it's been 20 years, you know, since you've been able to cheer for this team. Well, yeah, yeah you had Carmelo Anthony there for a couple of years. And it was pretty decent with Amari Stoudemire. But for the most part, the Knicks have had two lost decades. <clears throat> and so now uh, uh, you're not worried about how long Tibbs is, this is going to last with Tibbs. It's great right now. So, yeah. you, you know, you're here, you're in the moment. And I would say for basketball fans in New York, uh, you know, the Nets even had a downtime. The Knicks had a downtime. And in New York right now is second, maybe second only to L.A., uh, just in terms of, being an enjoyable basketball city. Yeah, which is just mind-blowing in some ways. Uh, you said two decades, which for one of the charter franchises and a team that everybody always thinks needs to do well um, for the NBA to be on top, I, I, we've, we've realized that's not true. Um, and Madison Square Garden, is it's almost like the team didn't fit the building uh, for a long time. And, and I look at a guy like Julius Randle, Julius Randle, he, he, he's put up numbers in recent years, but now he's impacting winning, which he never really did before. How, how do you explain somebody like that's metamorphosis? I don't think anyone, I don't even think Julius Randle can really explain it because <laughs> coming, in, coming into this season, did anyone see it coming? I, I didn't. I didn't see 
a guy who would, you know, average, you know, an automatic double-double plus, the offense runs through him and his passing is good. He's hitting three-point shots. He's about as much of a complete player as you can be playing that position that he plays, power forward. So I don't think anyone really saw it coming. As a matter of fact, I was thinking, you know, as he was playing well early in the season, I'm thinking, oh, he's great trade bait. You know, now that they can trade him at the, at the trade deadline and get something for him. But a funny thing happened, Mike. Not yeah. only was he playing good, the Knicks started winning. And then all of a sudden, you know, he wasn't part of the problem. He was part of the, of the, of the solution. And so they, they decided to, you know, hitch their wagon to Julius Randle, and he hasn't let them down. You keep waiting for, well, you know, he's going to have a drop off and this snap. No, he's played well. He's played well enough to be on one of those all NBA teams. And again, entering the season, I don't think anybody could have said, could have seen that coming. Yeah, it is amazing. Um, Cross the bridge, the Nets, of course, uh, health has become an issue. But even when Harden gets healthy, even if those three are all together during the playoffs, do they have uh, enough of a defensive culture or commitment to defense to win in the playoffs? I mean, win, end up in the finals. Um, well, do you think that you think they got that? Well, Mike, when you put together those three players, you don't have to be a great, a great defensive team. True. You can be just a pretty good defensive team. You can be an average defensive team, depending on who you're playing, because the bottom line is those three guys are capable of scoring 40 points each. And I'm not saying they're going to get 40, all three of them in the same game, but you know what you're bringing on the offensive end. And if you can go into game saying, you know, 130 points for us is nothing. Well, the other teams have got to score 131 and the Nets would have to be a pretty bad defensive team to constantly have to surrender 131 points a game. So I think there is going to be some nights in the playoffs, assuming they're all healthy, that, you know, the Nets might get 140. I would not be shocked, depending on the matchup, probably in the first round against an easier team, they can get 150. You know, that's the kind of firepower they're bringing. And I'm not sure you can go down through NBA history and find three players like that. You know, Harden, a guy who's, you know, who, who led the NBA in scoring KD, who's on pace to mm. well, his KD, his first 10 years in the NBA, he scored more points than anybody's first 10 years or something like that. And Kyrie Irving, who's able to create off the dribble, drop 40 on you. Mm. I mean, that's just some firepower. And we haven't even started talking about when you leave Joe Harris open and he's hitting, you know, open jumpers and, so, again, you know what I'm saying. The bottom line yeah, is yeah. you bring that kind of offense, you don't have to be a great defensive team. The, 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 there's so many unguardable players now. That's what blows me away. And I've been, especially, as as you know, um, people like me and Jerry Bembry were vertically challenged, or, or verticals are challenged, meaning they we use Metro cards to essentially measure our vertical jumps. And – you know, I love playing in the post and I loved all the up and I want to read something to you that you've written. And I only read this to you because it's a great, it, it, it's music to my ears. Um, it's, it's your latest article on NBA.com. Somehow and somewhere among the world of shooting three pointers and abandoning the lane, there's a nostalgic development taking place in the NBA. Goliath hath returned with a jealous vengeance. Two centers are currently engaged in an arm wrestle over the league's most cherished individual award. If we are right to assume the 2020 and 21 key MVP will be decided by Nikola Jokic and Joe L. Embiid. I mean, that to me, the two guys that actually play with their back to the basket a lot, that they're even in contention. It is. It's like sort of, wait, wait. I thought those guys were legislated out of the league. That position was legislated out of the league. What happened? Well, I think what happened is, um, first of all, those guys brought the talent. Um, and I think it was such talent that their teams could not ignore it any, mm -hmm. any longer. Even if, but, but let me stop you for a sec. Even if the stats now say three is better than two and, and, and the most low percentage shot is the guy in the lane that's, you know, uh, fussing with the ball and trying to make three moves before the shot clock runs out. Yeah. Well, I think th these are the exceptions to the rule. Okay. And I think you saw 
how the Nuggets began to rise as a, as a team to be taken seriously once the offense ran through uh, Jokic. I think you saw this, you're seeing this season in Philadelphia, what happens when Joel Embiid uh, cuts down his three-point attempts and takes his big butt towards the rim and starts to back his man down and not only get baskets, Mike, but get to the line, which is important because now you're getting the other team into foul situations. They have to bench their starting center and bring in the backup against Joel Embiid, which makes him even more dominant. So I think in these two situations with these teams, they saw the benefit of throwback basketball where you ran your offense through the center, something we saw in the 80s, 70s, 80s, started to change a little bit in the, in the 90s. And then the last 10, 15 years, the NBA has gotten completely away from big men. And Mike, here's the thing also you have to keep in mind mm. that this filters down to the high school level and the, co yeah. the college level. And now big men are saying, you know, maybe I can have a career in the NBA if I play more like a traditional center, if I can, you know, if I can work on my footwork, my skills. Uh, and I spoke with Akeem Olajuwon for that story that you. Yeah, I love that. I love that uh, passage in the story. Yeah. You explained to him on the phone that in the last 25 years, only Shaq um, is the a, a genuine big man who's won the MVP. And he groans over the phone and he's like, wow, I did not know that. Wait, that sounds more like Dikembe. Never mind. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, Akeem says, you know, basically like, like, yeah, this is the, this was part of the game inside, outside. Why, why wouldn't you use your big man as more than just a rim protector? And, and indeed he gets into it with you. Or I, I love, I love all the things he said, please share with our audience. Yeah. Well, he's, he's saying that the, you know, the post didn't go anywhere. It's not like the post disappeared from the NBA. NBA uh, court. It's still there. He says, but big men are not uh, trained or coached to take advantage of it. He says, if anything, you'll see Russell Westbrook posting up guys. You know, you'll see, uh, you know, um, even Kyrie Irving, you know, post up guys. You're seeing smaller guys take advantage of the post because the big men much too often these days in, in, in the NBA is instructed to stay out of the post. You, you want to keep the lane clear for guys who are playing ice teams that are playing ISO ball, like a James Harden, he never wanted the big man in the post because he wanted to try to take his man off the dribble and, and attack the rim. And, you know, Mike, much too often these days, this is a copycat league. Mm. And so all of a sudden teams and coaches are scared to try something new. They're scared because if it, doesn't exactly work, right. if it doesn't work, they look like a bad coach. So it's easier for them to just play copycat, spread yeah. the floor. You know, you're going to have, you know, two guys uh, in the corner at, beyond the three-point line. You're going to have two guys on the wing behind the three-point line. And you're going to have some guy on top of the key, dribbling, 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 and try to take his man off the, you know, off the dribble. The center in that situation is sacrificed. And he doesn't have to be if he learns how to play the position of the post. The problem is on the high school level and the college level, guys aren't taught how to play post basketball. Yeah. No? Oh, no, I didn't. My son is 10. He loves the game. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the worst thing that happens to him in a game or practice is he hits a three. And I'm like, oh, no, he's he thinks he's Clay Thompson. He <laughs> thinks he's Steph Curry. Like, stop. Stop. Just go inside. Get a back. Get it back to the bat. Get one of those sorry old Kevin McHale up and unders or something, you know, anything. But um, it's just it's a culture thing like these. It's sort of like the whole, you know, the whole shoe market where they would gravitate toward Allen Iverson and get away from Patrick Ewing because one guy was just so exciting to watch. And and yet I love like Jokic to me, Jokic, when he's when he gets going on like double teams and guys are cutting the basket. He puts the ball on a fingertip like CP three. He is as good as any guard as an interior passer or better. I, I think he's one of the great passers of all time. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think he's also going to win MVP. I think yeah. it's pretty much, you know, decided. In, in, yeah. in a, in a but Embiid will be in the top three. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt, but his passing, you know, 
first of all, he can play and on the perimeter. Obviously, he can shoot, but that's also where he can see the floor and spot teammates and be able to connect that way. So, uh, you know, he is a unique uh, unicorn type big man mm -hmm. and that he brings a little bit extra to the game that way. Uh, I guess the, com the, the comparison would be Bill Walton. Bill Walton in his yeah. prime, you know, when he was with the Trailblazers back in the mid to late 70s and the offense ran through him instead of Lionel Hollins. Uh, and Bill Walton would sometimes play the high post and he would do a little pocket pass and find guys cutting to the basket. And that was really his role. Jokic is obviously a better scorer than Bill Walton was. Yeah, uh, Bill Walton never, I mean, well, no center had that range except for maybe Jack Sigma then. But, but yeah, Bill Jokic is, I mean, he's just so skilled from three. It's just crazy. Yes. And so he is able to incorporate all of that into his game yeah. uh, in, in a way where we haven't seen from a seven-footer. And, and not only that, Mike, I think the other thing in his favor is that it, with Jamal Murray being out, Denver hasn't faltered in the West. If anything, they've gotten hotter. And part of that is Jokic, he, he doesn't sit out games. There's no load management or anything like that. He plays every game. He shows up. Uh, and he is a tough assignment for the other team because your big man has to be out on the perimeter to check him and then all of a sudden if he if he's in the post then you know you've got to guard him that way you have to meet my son really quickly this is an interruption of the podcast there this is one go. of my best friends in the whole world sean powell he covered a lot of basketball with me and this is oliver hello what's up and young man yeah, his his daughter, Victoria, who I remember her when she was just a little tiny girl, she um, ran Division One track at Georgia and was one of the best track stars in the country. I've taught your father everything he knows about basketball. So you credit me with your jump shot and your post game play and everything. So, well, actually, I didn't teach him everything he knows about that. He's taught me everything I know about basketball. <laughs> you enjoy the game? Isn't that funny? Yeah. All right, well, I got to get back to the podcast. Tell him, nice to meet him. Nice to meet you. Good to see you, my man. Hope to see you soon. Right. You know, um, he, uh, I got to find that Facebook photo you put up of um, of us playing at MSG uh, years ago. Uh, remember that one? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think I have that somewhere in my office. I'm looking for it now. But, oh, yeah, I still have that. You do? Oh, good, yeah. Yeah, we had, we had some good times. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm blown away by the skill level. I'm blown away by things. Oh, I was going to tell you, nine. you mentioned nine guards um, that could be all NBA, and they were all the usual suspects, but um, six of them were only going to make it. What three do you leave out in your, in, in your estimation? And, you know, and I left off Donovan Mitchell. You know, I saw that. So I saw that. Left off Donovan Mitchell, but like you know, but you'd have to leave. You have now. You have to leave off four if you're a voter, because you got Westbrook, uh, Beal. Uh, shoot, um, there was Kyrie on there. Kyrie, James Harden, uh, CP3, See, yeah, uh, Booker, Devin Booker uh, Westbrook, Bradley Beal, um, who Steph Curry. Uh, yep. Uh, um, Dallas. What am I? Um, um, Luca. Doncic. Luca. Yeah. So you know, when you think about it, I mean, it's really the competition is. Oh, Damian Lillard too. So yeah, Damian Lillard. I think you got to take well Harden. I think maybe because of the injury. Well, again, so in a, in a tough situation like this, I think as a voter, you got to start saying, "Well, I'm gonna." quote unquote, penalize guys for getting hurt, basically. Mm -hmm. And you're saying with Harden, hey, pal, nothing personal, but yeah. you know, you've missed one fourth of the season or one third of the season, whatever it might be, if only to make your job easier. But that's still, even if you go through that, Mike, you still yeah. left with about three guys who are not going to make any all NBA. Can you imagine leaving off, like, for, for instance, uh, Damian Lillard from all NBA or, or Kyrie oh. Irving? Or, or even now, like Bradley Beal is a leading scorer Bradley in the Beal. league. He's a leading scorer in the league. And, and didn't this happen last year with Brad? Yeah, Brad, Brad's gotten snubbed so much. I mean, I mean, it's part 
part and parcel for anybody that plays with another high powered guard, but, but he, it just, yeah, he's, he is such a complete player now. I can't even, you know, he's well, like, Mike. And, and, and speaking of complete players, take Westbrook. First yeah. of all, the guy, you, remember this guy didn't make all-star team this year. Think about that. He's going to average a triple double. <laughs> he's going to he break Oscar Robertson's all time record in like three nights. Hey, the first year that he got the triple double, he was MVP. The next yeah. time he got the triple double, he did not make all NBA. This year, he could average a triple double and miss the All Star game and all NBA team. Yeah. Think about that. I'm going to blame this. Here's your next column. I'm going to blame this all on Steph Curry. Um, Steph Curry, who clearly should make it because he's had an unbelievable season despite the Warriors not being an elite team because they've missed Clay Thompson. Um, I, when when he when he invented the shoot from the parking lot league, he he brought all this on himself. <laughs> he brought it's a guard league that you gotta like you can't uh, you know somebody's got to pay the price. There's well, too you know, many guys with range and handle and kick and penetrate games that you somebody's got to pay the price. Yeah, it's it's a very stacked competition. And speaking of Steph Curry, who obviously Mike, I'm a fan, you're a fan, for oh. what he, for, you know, obviously he is. But let me ask you, Mike, if he leads the league in scoring, yeah, and had a phenomenal historic year this year, and the Warriors don't even make the playoffs, is that a bad reflection on him? <sighs> Yeah, I mean, even with the numbers he's put up and everything, and not saying he's ever, you know, in the in the Freeman McNeil or World Be Free category, he's not just the the, the trucker for trucker's sake because he's had some. He's one of the most clutch shooters in the NBA when a game's tight. But but yeah, there's it goes back to your you know the high school paper you're voting for. Well, who whose team went to the playoffs? Whose team went to the champion? Who won the league? Like all those things matter. And, you know, I, I, I like either step. That's why I think Westbrook and Beal, one of them has to stay off because at the best, they're going to be a nine or 10 seed. And so I don't know. I just, I think that your team and what it's, you know, even if you carry your team, there's something to be said for winning and, and being and playing winning basketball on a consistent level. So I think you're right. Yeah. Think- for yeah, for a small guard, if you look through NBA history, a small guard on an average team, it's very difficult to take your team anywhere. Uh, now, yeah. there are some exceptions. Allen, what Allen Iverson did in 2001, take the Sixers to the NBA Finals against the Lakers. And that's when he had the step over shot over uh, Ty Lue. Yep. Uh, he did not have much on that team. Oh, Aaron he, McKee, Eric uh, Snow. Yeah, Eric, uh, an old Dikembe Mutombo. Yeah, Dike, Dikembe was like, you know, he he was, uh, he, yeah, he was, but, was already, but, car. he was carbon dated by then. But, but the point I'm making, Mike, if you're Steph Curry, a two-time MVP, scoring leader and everything, should you at least take your team to the playoffs? Is that too much to ask? No, it's not. And yeah, and I, I think, um, I think uh, Aisha has to ask the same thing about her husband. <laughs> she likes to get in social media sometimes. Yeah. Uh, oh man. Um, what, what did go ahead. Brad Beal's wife uh, tweet out something after he didn't make All NBA last year? He, she was angry. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, I wonder what she's going to say this year. Uh, yeah, he probably. Well, I, I always wonder. I don't even know if this came out. I wonder. Always wonder what these guys the incentive clauses they have in their contracts where, you know, um, some schlub slovenly sports writer like me is costing them money by not voting them all NBA. I don't vote. Um, but I'm sure a lot of people, do you have a vote? I do have a vote. Um, and, uh, That's, it's just weird that we like people that we watch the game. We have a say on, on possible incomes because of how these things are voted in the contract ex- incentives. Well, yeah, that part uh, I don't like, but that's not my fault. It shouldn't yeah, be in the contract, you know? <laughs> I mean, I that's didn't. It. You, you, I, love, I love blaming the agents. Keep yeah. going. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. Um, Phoenix, uh, oh, some a couple more here. Phoenix has been on fire since last year's bubble. And, you know, when they obviously went eight and no, but missed the playoffs. They've been near the top of the West all season. I feel like they're still a year away from being a threat to be in the NBA finals. Um, is that, 
Am I wrong? Or could you see that team leapfrogging a bunch of others? I think even though Phoenix could finish as the top seed in the West, I think a few things have to fall in their favor for them to get to the NBA Finals. Um, yeah. One of the things that could fall in their favor is if it's a Lakers-Clippers first-round matchup. <clears throat> because that means the Suns wouldn't have to go through both L.A. teams. Mm. That's the first thing that has to happen. The second thing that happen, happens is if the winner of that L.A. Uh, matchup loses the next round to, like, Utah or something like that. So suddenly, if it's Phoenix versus Utah with the right to go to the NBA Finals, I would say, okay. Uh, but, but I agree with your basic point, Mike. Uh, that team is not, hasn't been battle-tested. Battle Devin Booker's never made the playoffs. And, and, and whereas you love his talent and you have little doubt that he'll produce in the playoffs, he hasn't been in that situation. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, who else? You know, uh, Cam Johnson. Never, all those young guys, they've never been in that bridges, never been in that situation. No. Um, you know, DeAndre. Uh, yeah, never, Aiden, yeah. Never been in that situation. And the one guy who has been in that situation, and that's Chris Paul, traditionally hasn't come through in the postseason. No, so, he's had – I mean, the only time I see Chris Paul – the only time I've ever seen Chris Paul in June on television is a Kia commercial. <laughs> or State Farm. And I'm worried, you know, and, and I thought it was great last year when he was sort of, wow, this Chris Paul's made it past. This is great. It, even though it's September or whatever, it's great to see him in late in the postseason. I, I wish for him because he's been around so long, but you're right. He has a reputation. And uh, and that's a, and that follows you around for until you to, until you get the monkey off your back. And that's a huge one. Yeah. And I think. Um, look, anything that happens with Phoenix from here is this house money. They're playing with house money at this point because you're talking about a team that didn't make the playoffs last year and that could finish with the top seed. I'd have to go through history. If I wasn't so lazy, I would have to flip through history to see when the last time that happened. And the other thing is you're talking about a franchise that, again, much like the Knicks, have had a pair of pretty lost decades or with the Phoenix maybe a decade and a half. Yeah, uh, because they did have those fun teams with D'Antoni and Steve Nash and Stoudemire and Sean Marion uh, back in the mid 2000s. Oh. The bottom line is that was one of the great. By the way, that was one of the great teams to never win an NBA title. Absolutely. Well, you and can they look- probably should have if the Spurs wouldn't have uh, punked them. Well, Robert Ory. Yeah. He, yeah. He, Robert Ory. <laughs> but you're right, Mike. Um but that was a fun team to watch. They were very oh. productive. Obviously, Steve Nash, two-time MVP. Sorry, Shaquille O'Neal. He took yours, uh, one of yours. But, <laughs> um, but ever since then, the Suns have had some you know, pretty uh, bad drafts, some bad personnel decisions, and, mm-hmm. and they got stuck in a rut. So my point is anything that happens from here, even if they get eliminated in the second round, I think they can look back at this season with, with a level of satisfaction. Yeah, I I think you're right. This is a this is a, anything that goes past the second round um, or first round for that matter. They win a first round series, like it's gravy on some levels for that that team and where they're going. And Devin Booker, man, he he's going to be an MVP, a genuine MVP candidate soon. Um, a, a lot of athletes are playing or uh, complaining about the play-in. A lot of the players are playing the play-in setup, and you know my I guess my clapback would be. All right, then freaking win more. <laughs> you don't have to be in the play-in. Um, but but I think there is a genuine argument when the, the setup has been controversial. You know, wouldn't it be more fair and simpler if 10 played seven and eight played nine and the winners were the highest seed grabbing the seven and eight spots in each conference? Uh, because if seven beats 10, they get the seven seed. But if 10 beats seven, they get the eight seed with the eight, nine winner taking the seven seed. It's all freaking math and it's probably confusing our listeners right now, but it, you know, like, I don't know. It, it's going to be exciting. Any one game playoff is exciting. Well, let's put it this way. I think the NBA is really excited about the possibility of the playing situation, but suppose this, Mike, suppose this happens. Yeah. The Lakers are in the playing situation and they don't survive. Oh. Now your meal ticket your meal ticket is sitting at home, mm. not on not on TV when the NBA has the nation's 
sporting audience. LeBron is sitting at home. On Twitter. I think there'd be hell to pay (laughs) about that play-in situation. Oh, yeah. Because that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of the play-in situation is not to put a team like the Lakers in peril. You know, you need LeBron James in the NBA. You need LeBron James to at least go to the conference finals, if not the NBA finals. Because if he doesn't, the ratings were bad last year with him in the NBA finals. Can you imagine, for example, if you get a Utah Jazz, Milwaukee Bucks, NBA finals? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's that's like, boy, that 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 harkens back to the Nets in San Antonio um, years ago when that was just dismal ratings. Um, maybe Detroit, San Antonio, which had the worst seven game, uh, game seven ratings. I, you're right. It would just be, it would be, I'm not saying it would be unaesthetically appeasing basketball, but the marquee wouldn't be there. And there would be no, you know, people love to say, oh, young players and new players. They, they all, yeah, it's great for us hoop heads, but for viewing America, the casual fan, they want names. They want established personalities and teams. Yeah, and I know this is an abnormal situation that you're really not going to get because typically if if LeBron is healthy and AD is healthy, the Lakers aren't even in this position, okay? But the NBA did not factor in that LeBron could get hurt and miss X amount of games and AD could get hurt and miss 30 games. And all of a sudden, your marquee team, the team that you need to be in primetime television in June and July uh, could not, may not make it. Again, that would be uh, something that the NBA privately would be not too happy about. And not only the NBA, but the television partners would not be too happy. Yeah. Usually I'm always rooting for the small, like if Denver got in, which I can't see without Jamal Murray, but who knows? Um It'd be it'd be great. And all these other teams that are on the cusp, it'd be great. But part of me just before LeBron retires, I want to see him get five and even six. Um, but 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 five, five in beat. And if they somehow the, the Durant, Harden and Kyrie got to the finals, if LeBron and well, of course, A.D. beat that team, man, that's three. That's three future Hall of Famers on one roster. I, how do you not make an argument that LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan career-wise? Well, how that, do you? Well, first of all, they have to get to that point. Number one, and yeah, yeah, if, yeah, yeah, they're, they're walking wounded right now. Yeah, and even if they got to that point, I don't like their chances against Brooklyn Nets. Assuming, of course, the oh. Nets are fully healthy, I don't like. I, I don't. I don't see who guards. Who guards Kyrie? I mean, if we're really. Well, but who guards? But they, that's a good argument. But like, nobody guards Kyrie in the whole league. There's not a human. There's not. There's not a Space Jam alien that could stop him. That's, yeah. I've never seen a guy with better handle, better skills. I don't care where his mind is when he's in that sanctuary on the court. It's the most. He might be the most beautiful basketball player I've ever watched. Absolutely. Anyway, getting back to that. Oh, matchup, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, the one thing I would say about that matchup, Mike is that it would be a throwback to the 1980s when you had like five and six Hall of Famers on the yeah. floor during the NBA Finals, Lakers and Celtics, Sixers and Lakers. You yes. know, you, you had those great teams playing each other. And this was before player movement and free agency when players would move around a lot, even though Moses Malone did join the Sixers and and, and help them win that championship with Doc and and Bobby Mo Jeff, Cheeks. Mo Cheeks, and yeah, and Andrew Tony. Yeah. So the bottom line is, if it is Lakers-Brooklyn, that would be 1980s NBA Finals revisited. Oh, it would be so the, – the, I don't know if the ratings would be off the charts because of the pandemic and sports in general hasn't gotten the – but but I think it would – that would be – you talk about a return to greatness in the NBA. Now, the flip side is, if you're one of these people uh, – uh, that are anti star chamber teams and where everybody goes into a quorum and decides, yeah, yeah, I'm going to play with my friends. That, boy, that, that's the anti finals for you. Like that's the, that's the no, no small market should ever win again. And uh, yeah. I wonder how it'll be received. I, because, because people like you and me have gotten to know some of these players over the years, 
um, I root for it as they get, uh, I root for anybody that's old. And so, so, so I'm a generational guy. So it just, I, I would love to see it, but yeah, you're right. The Lake, I mean, Brooklyn might just have too much for the Lakers um, in that series. And, and that's probably, boy, AD like looked like he hurt himself last night. And so you, you just never know uh, what's going to happen. Uh, most people are giving the MVP award to uh, Jokic. Uh, Kendrick Perkins, of all people, I know he's never said a controversial thing in his life, was on our Buckets, Boards, and Blocks podcast with Monica McNutt and King McClure this week. He made a very compelling case for Chris Paul. Um, that's sentimental, or do you think that's legit? I, I, I would, if I had a vote, Jokic hands down. I can see where. Kendrick Who's your choice? Perkins, well, I can see where Kendrick Perkins and Chris Paul's brother would vote for Chris Paul. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Chris or Jake and, from State Jake from State Farm, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's three. Okay, that's three. <laughs> Uh, but, but look, I mean, you could argue whether or not Chris Paul is the best player on his own team. Uh, number one, he might be the most important player on his own team. Okay. But when's the last time the MVP of the NBA was not the best player on his own team? That's the first problem that Chris Paul wow. has, you know, uh, the second. Maybe Kareem. No. <laughs> yeah. You know what? You know, what's interesting. I think Chris Paul was more meaningful last year with Oklahoma City than he is this year with Phoenix. And people might call me crazy for that. But I say, go back and look at that Oklahoma City team. Go back and look at that team. No Who Paul was George, on that team? No, yeah, you're right. And by the way, Mike, they had they forced Houston to a game seven. And if James Harden doesn't jump out and block Lou Dort's three-point shot, Houston, I mean, uh, Oklahoma City beats Houston and goes on to the next round. Yeah. So if you tell me what was the more impressive Chris Paul performance last year or this year? This year, the Phoenix Suns were going to be somewhere in the playoff mix because of the way they finished last year. Remember, Phoenix ran the table in the bubble without Chris Paul. Yeah. Without him. Yeah. So they, so, so they were going places, Mike. But yeah. I, I'm seeing CP3 is not getting your vote. Who is getting your vote for MVP? Well, I think Jokic is getting my vote. However, however, yep. and not to shortchange, I'm not a hater here, Mike. You know me, not hating. No, no, no. Anything like that. I do think that had Embiid been healthy all year, I think Joel Embiid would get my vote. Um, wow, I think that's a fair that's a fair assessment. I think a lot of people would absolutely. be there. Um, Brian Scalabrini was on last week, and he. I, I didn't try to bait him into the racial argument, but he he wondered about the whole notion of uh, Jokic and and that that while the media was going to probably almost certainly vote him MVP, that a lot of players hadn't given him that due yet, and that there were still people out there that. And I thought, you know, it, maybe back in the day, there was a feeling of like, wait a minute, David Stern is outsourcing our game. All these European guys are taking over from the guys. Like I think. We're past that, but, but his argument was that guys like that, Doncic, it doesn't have anything to do with their the, the color of their skin. It has more to do with they're the new guys to the uh, the parade. And before you get there, you need to get a certain acceptance at the highest level, whether it's the playoffs or not. And um, and that Jokic was still a little bit away. I mean, I don't know. Did he take a straw poll of NBA players? No. Yeah, you know, is this sometimes? No, this was my own thought too. Yeah, I mean, this yeah, was I, my I, own. I think, and, and I can understand the basis of that thought uh, only because you know, quote unquote, those players are coming over here and stealing, quote unquote, our game. Uh, yeah, right. And you know, and there's also the professional jealousy factor. The bottom line is, you you, you look at you know, you know, some of the players coming over from Europe. And in terms of fundamentals, they have the fundamentals down only because they didn't go through the AAU system and you know, oh. a lot of American players have. And, yeah. and so they know how to dribble. You know, the big men know how to dribble uh, and, and shoot with range and making the right pass and all those sort of things. They don't rely as much on athleticism uh, and just dunking and things like that, not to get into stereotypes of America. Yeah, but they, but they play, and they play with men earlier too over there. 
Exactly. Because of the rules, you know, like Doncic was pro at 16. There's no guy in America, even if he was ready, that's allowed to play professional at 16 over here. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you have to go back to Arbita Sabonis, who he he made very two big contributions to basketball that kind of helped this along. Number one, he came over from Russia back in the 80s, even Mm -hmm. though he had been hurt and he was like the first big uh, import star with, you know, with the Portland Trailblazers. And he helped basically, you know, uh, open that door. And his second biggest contribution is uh, fathering uh, Domantis Sabonis, who is uh, playing well as a big man and showing some skill, even though uh, Domantis sort of has a more of an American game because he was born in Portland, born and raised in Portland. Uh, still, he has the, uh, the foreign sophistication uh, where his, you know, the, mm. the nuances of the game and things like that that he picked up from his father. Oh, his so, dad was one of the great passers oh, yeah. um, of all time. Had he gotten to the NBA earlier um, and he wasn't, you know, just this uh, big oaf with really bad breath. I remember interviewing him once. I like, was <laughs> awful, but like, he had the worst breath of all time. And uh, But at any rate, what a passer and what a player. And he was just so skilled. Like, who knows what, you know, Ar- Arvita Sabonis would have, would have been one of the great, not just players in the world, but great players in the NBA history yeah, that he came yeah. earlier. But but you're right, I think. But go ahead, I, I cut you off there. Go ahead, no, I was, I was agreeing with everything you said. It's just that he is one of those players that we never really got a chance to see. Yeah. Because he had his best years in Russia before, uh, you know, when Russia was the big, bad country, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and then when he came over here, he was what? Christian 30, 31 years old. Yes. This wasn't of great help. Um, prediction time, your NBA finals matchup and your NBA champion. Well, I like Brooklyn coming out of the East. Yeah. Uh, and, and by the way, Mike, I, I refer to them as, you know, Brooklyn's biggest uh, export music wise might be, and I know, I think Paul Simon might be one of them, but uh, you, you also have Biggie Smalls, right? How, how can you forget? So I, I, I am, I am labeling. Triple beam like, supreme. Yeah. Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. They are the notorious big three. Notorious oh, big three. oh, he just did that. Christopher Wallace, the ghost of, <laughs> he just did that. So the I not- am so not down with the fellas. Still, so, still, the, Kyle, the, no, the notorious big three and the notorious because of the way they got to Brooklyn. Kyrie kind of wind his way out of Boston and James Harden kind of, you know, squirms his way out of Houston and KD leaves a talented Golden State. Oh, yeah. He bails for his own team. So they're notorious. The notorious notorious, notorious big three. And I think notorious big three. That is so good. Did you name them that? Because that's a T. If I'm if I'm in Brooklyn right now, you got to copyright that. Huh? I got to call Barry Baum, our friend. Uh, I don't even know what he's doing for them. Oh, Barry, anymore. Ba- Barry's with Milwaukee now. The team. Oh, he is with Milwaukee. Yeah, that's the team okay. that's going to lose to Brooklyn in the conference final. <laughs> oh, that's going to be so awesome. Oh yeah. Um, that would be that'd be a dream matchup, I think, for Adam Silver and everybody. Who comes out of the West though? Uh, I'm going to have the Clippers, and my only regret with this yeah. is that I don't have the Clippers playing the Sixers because. The Doc Rivers being in the middle, oh. uh, that would just be epic. And, epic, uh, and 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 what a what a quote machine. I mean, Doc, you know, I said this once on this program. I think it's you know, like one of the great things about progress in the NBA is, um, and you don't get this in other sports. Is they always talked about the young black head coach that never got another job because they gave him a lousy job, the Butch Beard. Well, you now have the black retread coach. <laughs> It's there. And whether it's Nate McBell or whoever it is, and for all the right reasons, he's like, but Doc, man, he's worked all of us, not because he, I think he's a uh, manipulative personality. I think he's just a good guy. And he would just be a dream in the finals again, just to talk to. Well, that would be uh, a, a finals that we would. That would I just call Doc a retread. Don't repeat that, by the way. <laughs> well, I mean that would that would have some appeal because you at least have that subplot. There. Yeah. Uh, but but I don't think Brooklyn is getting. I mean I don't think Philadelphia is getting past Brooklyn. I I can see the Clippers uh, playing um, Brooklyn, and I would be really curious to see uh, Rajon Rondo 
going up against Kyrie Irving, using his smarts and his aggressiveness to try to throw Kyrie off his game. He can't stop him. But to kind of add him. He would irritate him. He would irritate him. <laughs> and so that would, be, that would be interesting. If that were to happen and they would irritate him. What about Beverly? Uh, there you go. You have another antagonist. So that's actually the best match at the control Kyrie. You're right. And if that were to work, Mike, I could see a monumental upset upset with the Clippers, you know, pulling off the surprise and, uh, you know, Paul George finally getting the monkey off his back. Well, that's, I think it'd be a great story for that reason. Or, you know, like, like they got killed so badly last season and, one of the reasons I thought was as unfair was the whole notion that Kawhi's not the vocal leader. Like, well, he wasn't the year before they won the freaking championship in Toronto. Yeah. So like, like we, we come up with narratives to, um, to, to fit whatever's going on with that team and that guy, you know, like I used to, like I used to kill Sprewell until, Oh wait, he's going to the finals. Well, this is just the energy they needed. Yeah. Um, you know, those tats and two, that's what we, you know, and so, I, it's so funny. Well, um, Mike, you know, Mike, Ty, Lu, Ty Lu versus Kyrie as well. Absolutely. Think of that. And Mike, one reason why I would love for the Clippers to win a championship is because I want to see Steve Ballmer dance at the at the championship. <laughs> no, you know what I want? I want the Clippers to win the championship because they took one of our own, a sports writer, Lee Jenkins, and gave him some crazy title. <laughs> uh, because Lawrence Frank wanted to be, you know, wanted to play Moneyball Ingenuity. And I'm like, okay, if they want it, then freaking hire me and Powell and give us like a quarter of a million or more each. And we'll go and fix your franchise and be like the, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be the private detectives um, and find out what's really going on with these guys and talk to their moms all nice like we usually do for stories. I mean, come on. What is that? Yeah, well, Steve. Ballmer, I'm happy for him, actually. Well, Steve Ballmer at this point is not worried about money. I would no. not think worth $3 billion. billion. Dollars? No. He wants to be able to dance in downtown Los Angeles uh, in a parade that no one will probably see coming. And, you know, <laughs> you're probably not going to get that big a crowd that the Laker parade would draw. But... It'll, be, it'll be the worst downtown dancing of a person affiliated with a championship team in LA since Mark Madsen. Yes. Remember how bad that was? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, Shaquille O'Neal loves Shaq <laughs> loves that stuff. All right. Before I let you go. Um, look, one of the great things me and you have done over the years, um, even when we got to know each other, we talked race, we talked society. Um, you, you always opened my eyes. I always remember you telling one of the great things I always tell people is, you know, like Sean Powell, like this is the one thing that, and I hate it when pe white people, they try to make white people monolithic. Black people are not monolithic. You once told me Spike Lee will have a take on something about black life that might not necessarily be my take, but he's a spokesman for me. Like, why don't you have a spokesman for your race, Mike? And it's like, it was a great point because all of a sudden like these, and, and I'm looking at all the social justice initiatives in the NBA all of which I agree with. I also wonder at what point do you, and you're Adam Silver and those guys, and you want to be as supportive as possible. At what point do you, you say, are we a cause or are we a business? And how do we, how do we walk that fine line? And clearly they can in China because <laughs> if they're going to still do business with them, they're doing business with people with lousy human rights records. But how do you walk that line and also really echo what's going on in society for positive change? Well, the one thing that I um, told NBA people, and I think I might have even told Adam this, is that <clears throat> I think it's great that you're allowing players to speak their mind to coaches and things like that. But what happens when a coach or even a player comes along that goes counter to the NBA stance on things? Suppose a player came along and wanted to wear uh, make America great again hat, you know, how would you feel? How would he go over in the locker room? Shouldn't he be accepted? I mean, again, it's all about freedom of expression, things like that, right? Suppose a player during the, in the warm-up uh, lane, uh, um, I mean, the warm-up line, wanted to wear a Save the Whales uh, uh, hoodie. You would have to allow that, right? Because you had the I can't breathe hoodie and you you know, you signed off on that. So the bottom I would go ahead. I cut you. Well, well, the bottom line is this, you know, 
you, when, when, when you open that door yeah. and you give them the freedom, you know, you also have to give people the freedom to speak, even though it might be counter to your beliefs. And that's the one thing in this country, Mike, we mm -hmm. agree with speech as long as it says something we want to hear. Right. If it says something we don't want to hear, then all of a sudden we want to silence it and you can't have it both ways. So true. I think it's a great point. I, I would quibble a little bit with you on the notion of, and I, I'm probably as guilty as this as anybody being, you know, um, uh, I, I never heard the term woke b before five years ago. And I always felt like, you know, well, woke's just a word for enlightened and people should learn more about other people and be able to talk to anybody irrespective of what they think and what they value. And we shouldn't demonize each other. And yet, if I saw a Make America Great Again hat in the locker room, I'm thinking the worst. I, I, I'm sure there's people who wear Make, a great, Make America Great Again hats and see uh, me with a BLM shirt or a sign on my yard and think, oh, there's the Caucasian social justice minister again trying to tell me how to live. And like, no, I'm not. I, I just think that Black Lives Matter is like, it, it, the, the saying is that Black Lives Matter and white lives don't. They're just saying black light, like, like recognize that. And I don't think that's a bad thing. And I know that there's militancy on, on each side. I just think that the militancy on the other side is most of it. Anyway, I want to live next to someone that looks like me and thinks like me. And that person has to be white. I know that's labeling, but I just feel like of the people that I've met, like that and and i don't know i don't know if you'd want that message would you i mean save the whales is cool i don't think anybody argues with that <laughs> but save the white people who are disenfranchised no we we've had it pretty good sean i gotta admit <laughs> yeah well i think mike we live in strange communication times too because of social media and and television i always say the most harmful three hours in television is between eight and 11 on the news channels, because it's not about the news. No. It's about your interpretation of the news. And everybody's taken size. You know, you have so Fox true. over here, you have CNN over here, you yeah. have, you know, another network over here, and you never get the complete picture if yeah. you watch just one. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, to watch B, you have to watch the BBC to find out what's going on in America. Exactly, so that's harmful. Also. People today, because newspapers miss the boat in terms of the internet, people today are getting their news from Twitter. And so yeah. your news from Twitter, you know, you mean someone passes along some something that doesn't have the right context, that doesn't have not hundred percent true. And we are forming our beliefs as people based on eight to eleven, Monday through Friday, and on what we see on Twitter. These little snippets, you know, that we get. That's how we're forming our beliefs about other people, other cultures, other races, other religions. And that's really dangerous. Rather than, you know, talking to your neighbor, finding out what uh, their what um, affects them. Because, Mike, here's the thing. We all want the same things in lives. We really do. We want a good job. We want safe neighborhoods, good schools for our kids. You know, those are the basics, Mike. And, and mm. I think... In, in, in our core, we are all the same. We are all the same in the core. Now, obviously we have other beliefs about this and about that, that's fine, but we can reach the common ground if we choose to do so, rather than reaching that separate ground, which we are too often today choosing to do so. Yeah, this is, boy, you, we could we could talk about that for an hour. It's, uh, it's so true on so many levels and if I, if I can contribute anything to the discussion now, um, I, I, I really like both sides to talk again and not demonize each other because while I'm clearly leaning toward the left, and I would say those three hours you talk about, yeah, okay, you're right. CNN has, has got its own agenda and whatnot, but, but there's some stuff on file, like Laura Ingram, God bless her, that's white power hour. <laughs> I yeah, mean, come on, some of that stuff is just filth. And it's awful. And I don't think it has anything to do with networks as much as or or, you know, it's like you can you can ha you can have I guess their journal advocacy journalism is where we're at now. But to me, some of that stuff is just it goes beyond the pale. And maybe the maybe that side would say the same about my side. I don't know. 
Well, Mike, you got to understand when you look at, you know, let's just take Fox since you brought it up. Yeah. The bottom line is money. It's not about ideology. It's not about what we believe in. It's about money. Fox found a niche in the market where they could speak to a certain segment of the population that would look at it religiously, okay? Mm. And it's about money. If, you, if, if you're talking about Tucker Carlson you know, and Laura, oh, you know what they're trying to do, Mike? They're trying to justify their $35 million a year salaries. Really, mm. that's really what it's all about. They may not even believe half the things they say, but they have to say it to justify their salaries. You know, because that, that's really what it comes down to. It's a money, you know, Fox and, and CNN, they're just trying to get viewers, okay? And whatever, they want to give their viewers what those viewers want to hear and see. It's all about money, Mike. You know, when in doubt, follow the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, this is so true. It brings ratings. It brings, yeah, it's, it's so true. All right, before I let you go, I'd be remiss if I didn't say in September, we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Um, which being in New York at the time was a very awful day for me personally, but it wasn't until I knew someone who lost someone that it really hit home. And I remember your column um, shortly after in Newsday and even the 10, I think even what got me more was 10 years later when you wrote for ESPN and talked about Victoria, who was three at the time, basically asking about her her uncle Scott, and you know, 10 a.m. you hadn't heard anything. Um, noon, you know, relax. 2 p.m. still waiting, and 6 p.m. he's gone. And your brother died in the Pentagon during 9/11. At 20 years later, uh, how do you even? How do you even put, I mean, 20 years without a, without a person who was very close to you, can you talk about just what that's going to mean? How do you even plan to um, mark the day? Well, you know, I would probably say, look, I had, you know, certain feelings the day it happened, and then the year after it happened, then 10 years after it happened. So that evolution, you know, there's an evolution within you about your feelings and what you remember and the time and everything. The one thing I would say about now, you know, this fall when it hits 20 years, is that my brother uh, would be, uh, he, he would know his, grand, his, grand, his granddaughter mm-hmm. who was born two years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, when you think about that now, okay? So when he died, uh, he had a son and a daughter, but they were just, you know. Kids. Kids. Uh, but now his daughter has since had a daughter. And so I think, and reflecting on the 20 year anniversary, now the next evolution is that next generation where his granddaughter has no concept Mm. of her grandfather. At least his daughter did. She obviously knew her father and things like that. But now we're talking about not only with my brother, but with others who were affected on that day. Now we're talking about another generation coming along and not knowing their uncle, the mm. grandfather, or whoever it was who perished that day. And I think that part is um, probably even more disturbing because they have no memories to cling to. They have to rely on you know, what their mother says or what their aunt says or whatever about that special person who didn't survive that day. Uh, so that's what I take most, that, well, that's what I will take most uh, this fall, this September, is how my my um, my brother never had a chance to hold his granddaughter mm-hmm. in his arms the way I held her uh, in my arms a couple years ago when she was born. And so, so I think I will be affected most by that because it's simple. It, it simply is mm-hmm. the next evolution from that very tragic day. Um, if people didn't know who Scott was, uh, you told people about him every time you got a chance to write about him. He, his, uh, his favorite phrase, I think, was quit complaining. And he loved to poke his kids until they um, until they laugh. And I don't know, I like I, all the things you've written about him over the years. I've almost like channeled it in my brain. 
And I remember that column where you called it the last best day I ever had. Is that how you still feel all these years later? The last best day I ever had? Yeah, the last best day I ever had was uh, the day before. It was uh, September That's right, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, because think about it. That last day, we didn't have airport security the way we have now. Yeah. Uh, that last best day. You could go, you could take someone, you could meet someone up, you could take someone to the terminal or the gate and meet them as they came off the plane out of the, uh, out of the tunnel. Well, that last best day, we didn't have um, racism against, you know, people of Muslim community. Mm. Uh, we didn't have, you know, bad, you know, images, perceptions of them. Uh, and I had a brother. As simple mm. as that. My family was intact. So that was the last best. And it was an ordinary day, Mike. I was at the mm. U.S. Open, covering the U.S. Open, whatever. You would never see any other distinction in that day from any other day that year, mm. you know. But little did I know, that was the last day I had mm. peace, total peace, 100% peace in me. Because starting with the next day and every day thereafter, up until this very day in which you and I are speaking, mm. I don't have total peace. And, but and, and look, I'm just singling myself out. I'd have to assume the same with others who were affected by that that day. And I kind of compare it to a little bit to COVID-19. Mm. Think about this. The people who lost loved ones to the coronavirus, um, they don't have peace. Mm. You see what I'm saying? They don't have peace. And it's not over something that any of the victims could control. Think about yeah. that. They had no control. It just happened to them. Same thing on 9-11. I mean, my brother just went to work just like it was any other day. He he went to work just like yeah. anybody to earn a living for his family, provide for his family. And he didn't choose to be a victim that day. He just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Oh, I, I like how, what you said, though. It, um, and 10 years ago, um, you know, you, you'd much rather spend time remembering how Scott lived, not reliving how he died. And and um, I think that um, yeah, that sums it up. And I, I still um, uh, 20 years later, I'm sorry for your loss, brother, because that's just a tough one. Yeah. And, you know, um, Mike, the one thing is, is interesting. First of all, you have a great memory of the things I wrote and I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, but the one thing you brought up is uh, when he said, you know, stop complaining. Yeah. And, and the thing about it is, Mike, even when I have bad, we all have bad days at work, at home or whatever, it might, whatever it might be. I think about those words, stop complaining. I mean, really, how bad <laughs> is it? How bad can it be? Like, right. You know, hey, if, if, if you're like uh if you're a, a a fan of this of the Houston Rockets who lost what four, fifteen straight games, mm -hmm. stop complaining. Okay, <laughs> they're, they're 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 a good draft away from you know being good again. So I think those words, Mike, um, yeah. I think those are very perceptive words, but they're also words that put things in perspective. You mm -hmm. know, for all of us who are going through hard times, who have had a bad day, uh, or who are just sort of just coping. Um, stop complaining, you know, realize the good in you, realize how good you do have it. And I think if you cling to those words, Mike, you can only lead a better life. And mm. so that's what I've chosen to do, Mike. I've chosen to cling to his words, those two words that he left behind. And that's probably the best way that I cope and I get through things. Not only what, whatever happened to him, but things that just happened to me, you know, I mean, in my everyday life. So those are good words to to, to uh, embrace and, and take with you uh, as you go along in this life journey. All right, man, I get emotional too much on this podcast and <laughs> I did right there, but I, I really want to thank you for coming on. This is, um, this is unbelievable. Uh, it makes me think that we need to catch up in person now that this coronavirus thing is starting to get past us. And I know I'm vaccinated. It'd be great to get food with you at some point, man. Well, that'd be great. As long as you uh, still have that jump shot, man. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> That's one thing I still got is my jump shot. I don't have any, I, I'm, I'm 50 pounds heavier, but other than that, I can still shoot. We'll have a father kid uh, two on two. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd be great. You invented the Euro step before the Euros even came. You had the I, Euro step. I invented the Euro step in New Jersey. How's that? Not even in, <laughs> not even in Europe. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, peace, my friend. And I, and I look forward to catching up with you soon. That was dope. Oh!
thanks to my guest, Sean Powell, for his time and wisdom. Thanks also to my producer, Bruce Bernstein. Bruce, you outdid yourself this week. You gave me some great questions, and the research was incredible. Bruce, I need you now to hit us with the promos. Thank you, Mike. Your, your discussion with Sean, between the two of you, that was really a wonderful, mature, grown-up conversation, uh, something that uh, we need more of in this world at this point. So uh, thanks to you and also to Sean. Uh, thanks also to our incredible editor, Kristen Woolley. Please check out all of our Pure Hoops media shows, Full Court with Jenny Fisher and Kara Kay with the best in college hoop each Tuesday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Otto Strong and Aaron Berlin every Wednesday. Their most recent guest was Law Murray, who covers the LA Clippers for The Athletic. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure drops on Thursday. And the most recent guest was Kendrick Perkins, who you guys mentioned in the show, of ESPN and NBC Sports Boston. BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast each Friday. And of course, a new Mike Wise show every Monday. And if you'd like to hear some great selected choice discussions from all of our shows, subscribe to the Pure Hoops Media Quick Hitters. We have many great video segments, especially from you, Mike, on our YouTube channel. So go to YouTube and search for Pure Hoops Media, Mike. Thanks again, Bruce. And we welcome the Monster Truck Spectacular people to the Pure Hoops family. Monster Truck Spectacular. What Sunday? It's Hagerstown Fairgrounds. Dinky Daddy Saloon in this 400 bench CC cheering out. Shimmy Love goes up against Big Daddy Don Garlitz and the Snake. We'll turn the Hagerstown Fairgrounds into a mod pitch. Now that COVID-19 vaccinations are widely available, please get one. But until we reach herd immunity, wear the mask in public to protect yourselves and others. We're winning the battle, but keep your guard up and be smart. Until next time, aloha. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.